You're listening to What Book Hooked You. I'm Brock Shelley, and thanks for listening. In this episode, I talk to Mary Lindsay, whose latest book, Haven, comes out on November 7th. I think you'll find this conversation I had with Mary very interesting, especially how she ended up becoming a writer. So take a listen. So Mary, what book hooked you? The first book that really hooked me as a as a reader of novels of of fiction i i'm going to give my age away here when i was in high school there wasn't young adult fiction and there's nothing like the pearl by steinbeck to make you just really not want to read fiction in the classroom everything seemed to be morbid you have old yeller and the old man in the sea and and so the first thing that i read was something i i that i recall changing me was a book i stole off my brother's nightstand, and it was Dune by Frank Herbert. And I was in high school at this time, but when I think about books that changed me, that was the first time I had read fiction that was just all-consuming. I had never read anything before that was outside of school that 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 had resonated like this, and I, it was amazing, and I, I couldn't get enough of it. I, I read it over and over and over, and... As far as a reader goes, Dune was it. As far as a writer goes, uh, Anne Rice's Vampire Lestat, when I was, it came out, I'm not going to tell you, I was an adult when it came out, don't want to age myself too much, but Vampire Lestat, when I saw that it opened with a set of quotation marks, and the entire book was open and closed with a set of quotation marks, to me that was just, I was like, oh my God, this whole thing thing is inside dialogue and I was so intrigued by that and then the story of course totally nailed me so that I would say Dune was the very first book that hooked me Anne Rice and um, not uh, interview with the vampire actually uh, probably was the most significant book for me and so starting with Dune were you before that point, were you a big reader? Was it other outside of school? Were you known to read a book, you know, as a pastime once in a while? I wish I could say that I were that girl that walked around with a book in her hands. I wasn't. I was a gymnast. And uh, until I was 14, probably from the time I was seven until I was 14, all daylight hours were spent in the gym. And um, then I, I retired, which sounds odd, at 14. <laughs> And I picked up Dune. So, uh, you know, I read for, for school and the stuff they chose for school. I mean, To Kill a Mockingbird is extraordinary. And I, the more, every time I read it, I appreciate it more and more. But I'm, I'm not going to lie. I mean, Lord of the Flies, that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's, it's really great. And now that I'm older and I look back at it, I'm like, wow, what a neat piece. But at the same time, when you're a kid and you're reading you know, this stuff, I I keep coming back to the pearl because it's like, oh my God, give these people a break. (laughs) (laughs) And that's that's what reading was to me. Oh my God, give these people a break. My mom read a lot of romance and she had, my dad called them Big John novels. (laughs) And uh, and he would read some of the sections out loud, of course, which was hysterical. Um, but, But she was a reader. I never saw my mother without a book in her hands, ever. And my brother that I took the book from, Dune, uh, he also was a real reader, but I, I sadly had no real recreation time, and I was struggling to even uh, stay awake in class. So, no, I didn't read uh, other than what I had to. <laughs> and, 
And was part of the appeal, as as you were reading Dune, the fact that you know it's sci-fi, it's futuristic compared to a lot of the you know the books that you've mentioned, the Pearl and Lord of the Flies, where they're much more uh, set in the real world and and those parameters. Uh, was it the kind of the fantasy and the fantastic that really uh, drew Absolutely. you in? Absolutely. Absolutely. The fact I was like, wow, you could do anything in a book. It was the first time truly, truly that I just was transported. And I, I still am. It's still my very favorite sci-fi. Um, it's To be transported like that is absolutely extraordinary. And I think it was a, just a huge turning point for me to find refuge somewhere outside of reality. It was fantastic. Life-changing. And so then from there, after you had finished that book, were you then motivated to pursue other books like it, uh, or did it take some time to really run into another book like that for you? Well, I was consumed with that world. Uh, my brother, fortunately, had had uh, the first four, mm-hmm. and I read those, and I read those again, and I read those again, and then I grabbed some Isaac Asimov, and I read that, and I didn't like it as much. Just something about that first love, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I found uh, uh, The Thornbirds on my mother's uh, shelf and read that. And I thought, wow, you can be transported historically. And I mean, this sounds really uh, basic and silly, but considering I had done no reading really outside of school uh, because of the fact I was working out and, and practicing constantly, it, it was just a fantastic find for me. And so I, I was at the library all the time, really loved the Thornbirds uh, just because of the big family saga feel that sure. it had to it. Yeah. And then from there, at what point did it, did it take up until you uh, read that Anne Rice book to uh, think about wanting to become a writer yourself? Or did you have any dreams or a- of aspirations before that? Oh, <laughs> I was the kid who, when their first grade teacher would say, okay, everybody, we're going to all write our own original poems and we're going to bind them up in a spiral and everyone gets a copy. And I just thought, oh my gosh, there's nothing worse than this, nothing. And so the day that we had to write the poem, I couldn't, I just, it was so hard for me to do creative writing. Just the thought of it was so repulsive <laughs> that I would fake sick. I honest to God, any time that I thought we were going to have to do creative writing, write a story, write a play, write a poem. I was sick. I was sick a lot. So <laughs> I would not go to school on those days. That's how much I hated creative mm-hmm. writing. And yeah, and isn't that funny? It's sort of like I'm, I've got it. I've gotten it back tenfold now. Sure. Uh, <laughs> the universe got me. And in college, uh, when I, uh, I majored in English lit. And theater, I had a double double major, and I ended up going to law school. But what what I did is I wanted that that degree in English literature, and I I was incredibly creative. I would go into the counselor and say, "Look, you know what? I'll take I will take this analysis of of Chaucer course on the graduate level." Instead of this basic creative writing course, I'll do anything. Just don't make me take creative writing. I don't want to write my own stuff. I want to read and analyze other people's stuff because I was a reader. I mean, that's what I was. And so it's it's very, very funny that I, I became a writer. Everyone that knows me growing up thinks it's just it's like the greatest joke. <laughs> you know, I made no I made no bones about it. I, I hated writing. And I, you know, I can't say that I'm still a giant fan of the process parts of it 
right now, but becoming a writer was, was completely uh, a fluke. So what, what happened then? What was this happy accident that you kind of fell into <laughs> that, that led you to become a writer? Uh, well, I, I, uh, lost a game of chicken with an 11 year old is what <laughs> happened. <laughs> she, my daughter, Hannah is a reader beyond anything I'd, I'd ever seen. And it honestly, watching her grow up made me ache inside for what I had missed growing up reading. We didn't have Harry Potter. We didn't have these amazing books and, um, the Percy Jackson series and, and the, um, the the what was it Gregor the Overlander all these things that they could read when they were little that were amazing that we didn't have so I was sitting in the kitchen and I I had I had this thing about having clean dishes like my kitchen had to be clean and I was going to teach an acting class and my daughter comes in and she's very dramatic at 11 and and fifth grade and she had just read uh, this little book Twilight and she throws it on the table and dramatically tells me how she is so upset that this is one of a gazillion books she's read for high school kids and the guy is always so dark and he's always thinks that he's really bad and he's all angsty and she just doesn't know why they all can't be just magical. Um, you know, I told her Harry Potter's been done and she said, no, no, really, I don't understand this, blah, blah, blah. And she went on and on. And I had to get this, I had to get to class to teach. And so I, I did what I could to shut her up. And, and I did, I, I have a history of this. And it's kind of sad. I, <laughs> I bought them one time a, a dollhouse and it had 500, thousand pieces and I'm not exaggerating I think that thing had 500,000 pieces and and I uh, disassembled it I make things I disassembled all the all the parts and the, uh, the boxes you know just taking it out of the box was it was a day and I looked at everything and I went oh heck no I'm not doing this no way so I boxed it back up I put it in the garage I found other things to distract them they were quite small and as soon as I could I garage sailed that thing box all everything I got rid of it and so I thought okay when she's whining about why can't there be a whatever I thought I can garage sale this I'm gonna make a false promise that's not harmful to anyone and will shut her up so I said Hannah Hannah why can't they be like I said Hannah Hannah you know what I will write you one I will write that book for you and I thought dude, I'm going to dollhouse this thing. Nobody's <laughs> going to ever see me write a book. I would die first. And she looks at me and she's got this curly hair and these big blue eyes. And she looks like her dad. Oh, you would do that for me? Me? You love me that much? I thought, oh no, I'm so screwed. I am so screwed. So I thought, okay, it's salvageable. It is totally salvageable. I can write a chapter and it's going to be so bad because I'm terrible at this. It's going to be so bad that she'll beg me to stop better than a garage sale. I, I'm going to be begged to stop. So she goes to school the next day and I'm like, Arr. I sit down and I think about Dune of all things. So yes, I hadn't even made this connection till now, Brock. Well, that's great. <laughs> I made a character, you know how they can fold space in Dune? Uh -huh. I made a character that could fold time. Now it wasn't it wasn't outer space. It wasn't sci-fi. It was just flat out paranormal romance for teens. But I hadn't even made that connection. How cool is that? Anyway, it was Dune that I ripped off for that, and um, I wrote this book. Well, I wrote this first chapter, and I handed it to her when she came in. <laughs> 
And she takes it like it's made of gold. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, oh, this is awful. And I've never had this before where I was nervous for someone to to look at a product of mine. I had drawn and I had been in, you know, I've been in acting and I had done literary analysis till, you know, my fingers fell off and I writing an essay was nothing. I'll let anyone see that. And then here she was. And I was so nervous about this little kid reading because it was fiction. It was creative. I thought, oh my goodness. And she looked at me, she goes, where's the next one? Where's the next chapter? And I thought I would be really upset because I thought this was the end game and I was out of it, but I was excited. And I thought, oh my gosh, I get to write another chapter. And so I did it for 31 days and I finished it on her birthday and it was ghastly. It was 700 pages long. Wow. Absolutely awful. But it wasn't, and it was awful. The writing was terrible because as I have learned, writing fiction is not like writing literary analysis. Your punctuation is not that big a deal. And, um, she loved it. I loved it. And I was done. So I, I had finished that. I built the dollhouse. I made good on my promise. I put the, the file in the trash on my desktop. And then my husband comes home. And uh, I told him I finished it. And Hannah said, oh, it was the best book I've ever read. And, you know, the whole thing, which really made me feel like, yeah, of course it was. I'm awesome. So he turns around. He goes, what are you going to do with it now? I said, well, I threw it away. And he goes, what do you mean you threw it away? Why don't you just get it published? Which, of course, now I look back and that's hilarious. But, it, you know, I, I didn't know how hard getting published was. Ignorance is bliss. And, and so I said, nah, you know, I, I'm happy I did it. I got other stuff to do. And he said, well, turn around and take a look at the kitchen. And I thought he was going to chew me out for the kitchen being messy. We were about to really throw down. I was like, uh, uh, <laughs> and he said, and he's like, no, 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 you're obsessive about the kitchen. You're, you're insane about the kitchen. Look at the sink, look at all the dirty dishes. And it really was, it was like Armageddon. And he said, you finally found something you like better than the mundane things you've been doing around the house, anything. So get it published. And so from there, I found out it's really not that easy to get published. But um, I went for it and was successful, thank goodness. So that's that's how I lost the game of chicken with the kid. That's great. That's a wonderful story. <laughs> now, but was it that first 700-page book that was your first thing that you got published? Oh, absolutely not. Oh, my gosh, no. Um, what I did is I queried it uh and I didn't know, like I said, ignorance is bliss. And I thought, well, you can't, how hard can it be? I wrote the book. That's got to be the hard part. And you have to also understand that though I had read who knows how many tens of thousands of books in my lifetime, I had never read a young adult novel. I had read Harry Potter. I mean, the ones that had come out by that point I had read and just loved them, but I had, I had not read Twilight. I had not read any of the young at the Cassandra Clare books, nothing. I had read nothing. And, and you have to read, I mean, as you know, and I know, and everyone knows you have to read in your genre. You're really going to suck. And I did. And, um, it, it has subsequently been sold, believe it or not, as an adult paranormal romance. Um, I, I rewrote a significant portion of it and uh, ended up selling it, thank God. Uh, but it was just so not suited for a teen book because I didn't know ah, this character wasn't youthful. It, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, but I did query it and I sent out 12 letters because I can write a hell of a business letter and um, got 
11 rejections, like just right away. And then I got this, this response from, of all things, the little book Twilight from her, her assistant, from her agent's assistant. Cause I did, I queried there. Cause why not? You know? And, um, it was a, it was an interesting letter in that it said, you know, it thanked me for the query and that it was inventive and, you know, all these really think nice things about the characterization. And I was like, well, yeah, you know, great. Perfect. And then the last, well, one of the last lines was too bad. Something like too bad. The writing doesn't live up to the premise or something along those lines that should have been soul crushing. And instead it, I got really excited because I thought, well, there is something I can fix. Show me how to fix it. So I hired a, a book doctor of all things. Um, I didn't know such thing existed. And, um, and she uh, taught writing at University of Wisconsin, and she looked at the first 35 pages of my book, and she said, oh, well, you're just doing a few things wrong. They're very typical newbie mistakes. Here they are. And we talked about adverbs, and we talked about repetition, and we talked about sentence structure. And so I wrote the sequel to the very bad 700-page book, practicing on that one. And she looked at parts of that, and she said, you're ready now write the book you're going to sell. So I did. And, um, I mean, within two weeks, uh, of submitting, I had multiple offers. So I, it, it was just a learning process. It was, I guess it's just my personality, maybe from gymnastics and, and you don't get it right. The first time you find out what you did wrong, you fix it and you practice. And so that's what I did. And so the, the first book I, you know, I, I sent out, I had no clue what I was doing. The first book I seriously sent out i i got lucky with right time right place that's great and so once you had that first one was it just a foregone conclusion that you were just going to keep at this then it was just something that you were committed to and that you were passionate about from that point on oh absolutely not only had i been bitten by the bug i mean i loved writing as much as well, i didn't love writing i loved editing as much as i loved reading the the actual um rough drafting process is terrible for me i um, I don't, I don't know why I feel so vulnerable when it's happening. Maybe that act of pretending, uh, maybe it's the, uh, just the, the limitless possibilities of, of where it can go. And have I made the right decision and that kind of thing for me the the drafting is traumatic, almost the editing. I'm like, yeah, show me where to fix it. I can do this. Uh, that that's the happy, happy part for me. Um, but I was hooked. I, I loved rewriting it, working with, um, uh, the person who, who the book doctor really, really taught me how much I liked editing. And so I psych myself up. In fact, I, I, I have to play games with myself, which is I will just draft only with dialogue sometimes, just get anything out there. And then I can convince myself that actually finishing that draft is revising. And I, I don't know what it is. There's something in my psyche that's the creative process is, is um, uh, really difficult for me, but I was totally bitten by it. And I knew from the time I sold the first one that my prospects of selling others were not great. I think it was 60% of, uh, uh, authors sell a book outside their first, um, series. I, I may be wrong. I'm sure that's changed by now, but back then that's the odds everyone was telling me is, Oh, you only got a 60% shot of ever selling anything else. Well, I was one of the lucky ones, I suppose, because now this is my 10th book. So it's, it's been a blast for someone who hates 
the creative writing process, I, I certainly do a lot of it and find a great deal of satisfaction. So maybe I need to rethink it, sure. rethink how I present that, you know? I, I would say so. And so, like you said, you, this is your 10th book. And so not only are you a YA writer, you're also a romance writer. So you're kind of yes. have, uh, you know, a foot in each in each genre or category. Uh, is that... How does that work as far as when you sit down with an idea, do you all already know that it's going to be a romance or it's going to be a YA book? Or do you have to kind of discover that either through the drafting or editing process? Um, I, so far, that's been a, a fairly simple thing for me. I, I have just run up against uh, an issue with that for the first time. Ordinarily, uh, when I come up with something, it's based on some premise. And the premise generally revolves around an age. Uh, I wouldn't write a YA just to be writing a YA. It's a story that has to be told from that aged person's point of view or the story itself won't work. If I can make it work in another age group, then I probably am doing it wrong um, if it's just transferable like that. The issue I had with one recently is I had come up with what I thought was just a fantastic young adult premise. And um, it, it turns out as I examined it and I talked with my agent about it, it's been in the works a long time. It's really, it was, it was a more literary bent than it was the typical commercial YA. And we talked about it and it's actually not romance either. Uh, I'm actually writing women's fiction now. Um, so I'm doing, uh, and you know, women's fiction is such a, such an odd, odd, um, uh, title to me. I, I thought that was like someone had made that up when they said there was women's fiction because there's not men's fiction. Sure. Uh, but, but, you know, you've got typical things that are typically men that, that women read, but in women's fiction, evidently it's, a, right. it's for women by women. So that's what I'm doing now is I'm, uh, working on a women's fiction. I'm also, uh, working on a, a YA project and three or four romance projects. Cause I write in two different genres in romance. Well, I say genre, two different subgenres. Um, adult paranormal which is pretty violent and sexy and then i write um category contemporary which is more like rom-com like sure. the proposal mm -hmm. the movie the proposal so i'm all over the place different character different voices but no i i have never i don't choose specifically you know I, the, the characters speak to the genre they belong in got it and so your 10th book uh which is coming out november 7th is haven uh, so can you give me kind of a brief uh, sort of pitch or synopsis of what this one's about? Um, Haven is werewolves in the Texas Hill Country. And I'm not a big werewolf person. Um, I am now, I suppose. Uh, my uh, editor called me and said, I want you to write a book about werewolves. And I think I said some explicatives before I hung <laughs> up the phone on her. In fact, I know I did ending in you and <clears throat> she called back and told me that she was not kidding and I told her I wasn't either and we talked about it a while and and I, I started thinking about it I'm like, well give me some time to think about it and so I wrote her and said well what if it's steeped in German lore and I set it in the Texas Hill Country because of all the German settlers up there and I really like the German werewolf lore because I had gotten online and gone crazy and she said, well, that sounds great. And, and then I told her that I really felt strongly when she was saying, you know, well, uh, think about the girl who. And I said, no, I want to think about the boy who. And so this is the story told from the point of view of a 18-year-old uh, 
guy who has lived on the street his whole life. So he's a pretty harsh, hard guy. And I just didn't want, I really didn't want to tell it from a girl's point of view. And I, just because we already had these characters kind of discussed and he has, he's so interesting and he knows the least about the world that he's getting into, the magical world he's getting into. And he really, in some ways has nothing to lose. So it's the discovery that he really does have something to lose that intrigued me when you have someone who has nothing and they're on the cusp of having everything only to be in mortal danger. I thought, you know, that's, I like that. I don't like the person who has everything and then finds out they're super, you know, have some kind of superpower. And it, it just intrigued me to tell it from a very different perspective. And so finding the point of view was really hard in a way because my other YAs are done in first person because it, it gets you deeper into that, that person's head and it appeals for the genre and all of that. And third person really, uh, I write my adult books primarily in third person. And so it's a natural thing to me, but as in writing, I started it in first person from this guy's point of view, but it opens with him pounding a skinhead, like almost to death. He's, he wants the guy, he wants this guy dead. And I can't be in someone's head. Who's, I mean, that kind of thought that whole, what goes through this kid's head is as hard as his life is, is not something I want to be in first person with and and same with the romance he looks at the girl and and if you do it in third person he could be an old man in his rocking chair telling you this story 50 years later and he's going to gloss over the edges the narrative will be a little more uh, uh, lyrical than it would be in his head the language will be a little more toned down in the narrative than it would be in his head and and the sexuality will be much more toned down than it would be in his head if we were in first person. I mean, he would look at that girl and it would be really X-rated thoughts, most likely. Uh, well, definitely this character. So doing it in third gave me a whole lot of um, freedom to let him be himself without being right in our face with any kind of, he comes into this story with a lot of aggression and fear and um, the, the self-discovery worked really well for me in third person. There was a lot of discussion when I said I'm doing this in third and I, I sent it in. There was, a, there was some discussion over it. But really, I don't, I don't want to be in a dude's heads thinking about what's in a girl's pants. So this worked for me a lot. <laughs> and so from that point when your agent uh, called you and, and kind of pitched this idea to you, how long does it then take you from that initial – idea that you have to start kind of rolling with uh, to actually being able to turn in an edited finished draft? <laughs> this, is, this is kind of the funny part. Um, well, it was my editor. Um, and so I knew it was kind of a sure bet. If your editor asks you to write a book, you're pretty much sure they're going to publish it. Um, I probably would not have written an age and a werewolf book for my agent as much as I love her. It, it just, it wouldn't have gone over. Um, it depends on the book. I've actually written a book in two weeks and, um, that would be my editor's dream that I could just finish a book quickly, but everything happens and stuff gets in the way. Um, I can draft very quickly. Like I said, I can trick myself, uh, into, uh, getting that draft out super fast by leaving out a lot of the physical and leaving out a good bit of narrative. Just get the dialogue and the actual story down and then go back in and really fill it out. Um, I wrote my very first book, Shattered Souls. I completed the rough draft, and it was a complete rough draft in three weeks. 
Um, Ashes on the Waves was my uh, Edgar Allan Poe-based gothic murder mystery. And I researched it for, oh, a year and a half before I ever wrote it. And it took six months to write it. Um, so it was a two-year process on that one, just because I had to read so much on Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, average book, uh, Haven took a while because I, I was writing several books at one time and it's also a murder mystery and it's a little bit complicated, honestly. And there are a lot of moving parts and a lot of characters. There are more than, more than one murderer, more than one murder. Uh, and I, I wanted people to not know who it was to the end. I knew who it was. But I, I really, it was, it was a difficult thing. It's like doing Sudoku over and over and over and over to try to get all the pieces uh, to fit together. And I think it worked. I'm, I'm real happy with the outcome. But uh, I got to the last, in fact, when I sent it out to people, would you please blurb this? Will you give me an endorsement quote? There was no ending on it because the ending just, I wrote the whole first part of the book. It wasn't that horrible, but I got to the end and it was just, blah, um, and thank goodness the same editor who uh, had convinced me to write this book had some great ideas for the ending. And so I uh, took her stuff and my stuff, and, and it took longer to write the ending than it did the whole first uh, probably seven-eighths of the book. And so at this point, with this being your 10th book, do you feel like you're you're in a very good kind of habit as far as it comes to your writing, uh, the physical aspect of writing where it's – a daily process for you or you can, you know, sit down and write pretty easily or, or do you still have those days where it's maybe not writer's block, but it's just, you know, some days it's, it's only, you know, a small portion of the words you were hoping to get out. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, for a while uh, used to believe that I would be able to sit down and do my four hours in the morning and then do my social media and editing in the afternoon. But I'm a mother of three now that fortunately, thank you. They're all off at college <laughs> Woo um, party. And then of course I have to move and then all kinds of things happen. And um, as I discussed with you uh, before this podcast, I've, uh, I was evacuated for Harvey. And so for a month I have not been in my home and I've been traveling and staying at the in-laws, and it's really not conducive uh, sure. to, to writing. So I'm making excuses, but I would love to be able to sit down and do that. But I've given myself permission to to screw up and, and not write. But I would say I probably average a 40-hour work week. Um, I definitely average a 40-hour work week. Uh, but I just do it at weird times. You know, sometimes I'll write for all day long and then sometimes I don't. I have friends who are so regimented and their work product is so consistent and I'm just jealous as can be. And I'm hoping when all of this is over and I get to go back home, I can get into that kind of schedule again. But for now, no, everything I've done is like binge, binge writing. I would go down to, I live at the river house full time now, but we had this house that had no internet. It does now. And I would go down there and just write when the sun came up until the sun went down, until the book was finished. Just binge write the entire book, like NaNoWriMo every day, um, times four. And it would it would be fantastic, and I loved it. I could, I could write a 100,000-word book in three weeks that way. But uh, I don't have that stamina right now. You know, life just gets in the way. So, no, I'm not one of those people that is regimented and has the – the work uh, going at a certain time. I, that's the goal. That's my ultimate goal. And hats off to everyone that can do that. I'm so impressed. <laughs> <laughs> and so 
you know, with your romance uh, titles, you write under a pen name, uh, Marissa Clark. And so uh, it was that a choice from the beginning that you wanted to kind of have a clear differentiation between uh, the two worlds uh, uh, that you're writing from? Uh, or was that kind of more of a necessity or how did that come about? Well, I, I, uh, <laughs> I think that my mother-in-law, if, if, if her Bible study group can't read my book, I probably <laughs> shouldn't use their last name. <laughs> so <laughs> that was number one. And, and number two, I do go speak at high schools and I live in Texas and there are lots of places in this country where, you you will probably be given a side-eyed look uh, for any kind of adult content. And I don't really want to drive kids to my sexier stuff, especially adult paranormals. They're, you know, oh, I loved this book by her. Oh, this is about more things like that. And then they read that and it's like, what? So I'm, I'm just not sure. I, I decided just to, to compartmentalize it. However, recently I have uh, cross-referenced both of my websites to one another. It used to be my adult site would drive to my teen site. My teen site would not drive toward the adult site, but mm -hmm. I do have a link at the bottom. I, I mean, you know, it's over. I, I, I kind of regret not going with just one name, but, um, you know, my, my mother-in-law would never have forgiven me. So <laughs> <laughs> that's great. And then, so with, you kind of have then in a way, two sets of fans then, don't you, that you have your romance fans. And if you go to conventions and things like that, but then, as you said, uh, talking to high school students and things like that. Have you, has there been noticeable crossover where those I'm hoping, I'm hoping this is the book that's going to cross it over in that. I think it really appeals to both audiences. I, I intentionally set out, in fact, originally this book was going to be an ebook only, which has an adult audience and team. So I was writing a book about young people and it's not a high school experience. It is a coming of age and, and um, self-exploration type of situation where it, I think it, it was the youth, uh, it, it necessitated youth like this, the, the new discovery. It wouldn't have worked with older <clears throat> characters, but at the same time, what they're dealing with, I think, appeals across the board. It's not a very young protagonist experiencing love for the first time. That's not what's happening here. But these are really experienced kids. They have gotten around. It's about uh, finding safety and home and standing up for what's right. I mean, he, as rough as the kid is, it opens by him defending a girl that these skinheads were about to harm. And so, you know, right off the bat, okay, he's violent, he's aggressive, uh, but he's doing the right thing. He's doing it for the right reasons. And, um, and he gets into this uh, small town and he comes from these hard, hard streets, and the judge orders him to go to this small town. And he's thinking, ah, you know, what's the most dangerous thing here? You're going to fall off the hay truck or stub your toe on the bleachers at homecoming. I mean, come on. And he gets there, and it turns out it is one deadly place. Um, and he's got a lot of things to figure out. There's been a murder, and there's this hot chick, and the first time he sees her, she... Uh, flips a desk over with a guy in it. And he's like, oh man. And, and so this is not a typical, I'm going to sit and look at this boy and, and be crazy about this boy or this girl. It's a, uh, he's surviving. They're all surviving. And I, I think that it speaks to 
to especially our time right now that we're living in, we it deals with the oppression of those who are seen as less. It deals mm-hmm. with standing up for not allowing the subjugation of a whole nother group of people, uh, especially, I mean, they may not even be people. He doesn't know what they are. But, but he's, I think it really speaks to an adult audience as well as a teen audience. This, this book, uh, more than any other I've written, I think, does, does, uh, does both of those. And yes, to answer your question, I go to uh, conferences and, and I'll have people who know me as Marissa and people who know me as Mary. There's not a ton of crossover. There are some that read Shattered Souls back in 2012 and have grown up, and now they're reading adult stuff, and they sought me out. Um, but but as a general rule, I haven't seen as much crossover as I'd like. I've seen more crossover between my teen and my adult than I have seen in my adult category contemporary and my adult paranormal, though. Mm-hmm. It's like adult paranormal readers don't, you know, it, it's it's been so interesting. So I'm hoping that this book bridges the gap. And are there other genres or categories that you would sort of like to explore? You have just maybe the the smallest whisper of an idea floating around. Oh, I've got the coolest near future medical thriller in my mind. I just, ooh, it deals with cloning and, and ethical issues. And I would really love to write that. I'd really love to write it. Um, I don't know that there'll ever be a market for it. I might write it anyway, just because it's fantastic. I saw this amazing uh, documentary about these twins in, I believe, England, and they had been separated at birth, and 30 years later they met, and they looked alike, and they dressed alike, and they they had uh, idiosyncrasies that were similar and physical tics that were similar. They'd never seen each other. And it's that nurture versus nature, uh, you know, how much is in the DNA that really was fascinating to me. So I have this, oh my gosh, I'd love to write that thing. Um, but I have uh, five more books under contract right now, so it's going to be a while, wow. sadly. Yeah, that's great. Well, <laughs> a, f- a few questions sort of as we wrap up. The first one is, what is your favorite movie that's based on a book? To Kill a Mockingbird with Gregory Peck. Sure. To Kill a Mockingbird, yeah. He was amazing. That was an amazing movie. I loved it. Very good. And then the next question is, is there a book or series that you're willing to admit that you've never gotten around to reading? (gasps) I hate to admit it. Um, I have not read Divergent. Um, I really really want to. I have Mm -hmm. not read it. Just haven't. That's great. And then finally, what is the last great book that you have read? Uh, Moxie by Jennifer Matthew Yes, was a great book. I wish to God I'd had it when I was in school. Um, empowerment of girls and not just any girls. This girl is a girl who felt like there was no voice for her. The most powerless of people can make just the hugest difference. I think Jen just absolutely nailed this book. Um, Another book I just read for uh, an adult book that I just cannot recommend enough. It's called If the Creek Don't Rise, and it's women's fiction set in Appalachia, and it deals with domestic abuse, and it is extraordinary. So those are the two I'd recommend right now. The the last two I read. I mean, you catch me next week, and it'll be another two. But sure. Well, Mary, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, The book is Haven. It comes out November 7th. And I can't wait to uh, check out this book and all the other books that you have waiting for us. 
Thank you so much, Brock, for having me. It was a delight. And that does it for another episode of What Book Hooked You. Special thanks to my guest, Mary Lindsay. Her book, Haven, comes out on November the 7th. And if this is the first time listening to the podcast, I hope you'll check out some of our episodes with our past guests. And if you're a regular listener, please consider leaving a review. I'm Brock Shelley, and until next time, keep reading. <laughs>